Good morning. We have been for a few months now in a series in the book of First Peter. First Peter has been a good book for us because it's a book that I think speaks to our times somewhat uniquely. It's a, uh, it's a book written to chosen uh, outsiders, uh, chosen outcasts, we said. It's a book that uh, speaks to those who are on the margins of society, not fully appreciated among the people among whom they live. Uh, people that are experiencing various forms of persecution or sometimes just being left off to the side, undervalued, uh, scorned, ridiculed because of their faith in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. It's uh, something that different folks in our, in our culture, one time or another, are, are experiencing more of even perhaps than we used to. And it came in seasons in the first century and since then in the church's experience through history. It comes in seasons uh, more and less in different parts around the world where Christ's church is even today. In, 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 in this book, Peter's made pretty clear there's, there's, there's trouble. There will be trouble. Trouble will come. Don't be surprised when it does. And he's given, some, he's given us some clear, uh, both reminders of what we need to remember, what we need to know things to anchor our hope in. And he's also given us some very practical exhortations. Uh, it, it, you will at times suffer for your testimony for Christ, but don't suffer, for instance, for other things. Don't add our own offense to the offense of the cross, maybe is another way to say it. We come to the last chapter in chapter 5, and he speaks particularly to church leaders. Uh, how will they lead? How will we follow? I thought that was interesting that uh, this week we were talking about that because this week was also our uh, Thanksgiving dinner, as, as Ryan so well described, uh, moving from uh, progressive dinner to Thanksgiving dinner and ready to go. Uh, and um, after that dinner, we'll, we'll have our annual meeting. And in the midst of our annual meeting, we will also be um, voting, uh, church members will be voting uh, for, for some new officers. It'll be added both to the deacons and also to our elder board. And so these, these are our leaders, and uh, this thing called elders, what does that mean? Is that just old people? Well, Peter's going to talk about that this morning. And, uh, but not only that, I was, I was invited to another church, asked to come to another church uh, earlier this week here in Vancouver. They were having a special gathering to pray for their church. They're, they are um, in the midst of a bit of a crisis right now, and it's a, it's a crisis involving leadership. I'm not, I, don't, I don't intend to say much about that, a lot about that, except it underscores again, oftentimes when these things occur, the, the core issue out of which other things then are almost enabled to arise is a lack of accountability in leadership. So the, one of some of the questions as, as we approach this text this morning, which I've called this passage, lead, follow, and get out of the way, because both in leading, I can be in the way. In following, I can be in the way. So lead, follow, and get out of the way. But uh, especially, this passage is going to, going to cause us to ask, to consider, what does it take to lead? What kind of leadership should we expect from elders at Brush Prairie Church? What, uh, what does it take to follow what kind of follow, followership or followership should uh, leaders expect and ought to expect from 
Brush Prairie Church. How do we lead? What does it take to follow? These are, these are questions that um, this passage, 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll be in the first uh, five verses. We will be down at the bottom of about page 1016 if you're using a pew Bible this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, grab one right in front of you, open it to 1016, and uh, look for the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll read these verses. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd, here's the charge to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And here's how, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And if so, then when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, verse 5, you who are younger, be subject to elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Father, we would bow our heads again right now for a moment. And we bow because... Our request is in humility. We bow because who are we to ask of you? And yet, your son has lifted us up. The psalmist says that you indeed are the lifter of our heads. So, Father, even in humility, we can boldly ask that you would open your word to us, speak to us. Lord, that we would know how to lead, how to follow. And Lord, for each of those, we need your grace. That's what we ask for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So he says, I exhort the elders. So I exhort the elders. So suggests this is built on what he's just said. He's just described the kind of time that we're in. Verse 19, the previous chapter, let those who suffer according to God entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We will suffer in the midst of doing good. There are hardships. These are hard times. That's the context that he's been describing and because of that, because the times are difficult, because the temptations are many, so I exhort elders among you as a fellow elder. What is this office of elder in the church? Now, there's a, there's a couple of, uh, there's a parallel line here that elders are called to shepherd. That's the verb. So elders are the noun. Shepherd is the verb. And to exercising oversight, that's an adverb. It's describing how shepherding occurs. Shepherding is to watch over and to look out for and to direct in the right directions and keep them from dangers. So elders are those who are appointed to shepherd exercising oversight. Okay, You see all three of these words. Now those words are important in the New Testament because uh, from the word elder, we get our church officers who are elders. Uh, the word for shepherd, well, that, well, well that's, a, that's a metaphor that is rich in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. People should shepherd because God, God has the heart of a shepherd. Caring for we are his people, the sheep of his pasture is the imagery. Uh, he, he, holds, he holds poor or evil 
um, not caring shepherds accountable in the, in, the, in the book of Ezekiel. He tells Peter, remember the charge he gives to Peter? He restores Peter. He says, Peter, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, shepherd my flock. And now this Peter comes to us and he says, shepherd. Shepherd is the word that we typically get our term pastor from. The third word, overseer, that's the word that people get the term bishop from. The Greek word is what, what we get the term bishop from. Um, it's episkopos, so you have a, you've heard of the Episcopal church that has bishops. There's the connection. So you have elders, pastors, bishops. Those terms are being used together for the same person exercising a function by God in his church. These are church leaders, so we refer to elders. And I often, I, I often don't use the word elders in our church. We have elders and deacons, and those are terms we don't use much, most anywhere else. People, people in the first century, they had elders in society. They had eld, elders of the town. They, their town council would have been called the elders of the town, the city, the village. So those are terms they use, but we don't use them so much in that way. And uh, so I, I actually don't always use those terms as well. For, for el, elders in our church, I use the term shepherds. For deacons in our church, I use what the Greek word, which is what our deacon sounds like, comes from the Greek word, I use the term servants instead. So we have shepherds and servants, those who lead in shepherding and those who lead in serving, leading others in serving. So leaders in our church, in this case, especially those elders who shepherd, what does it take to lead? What kind of leadership should we expect from our elders, our shepherds? First of all... um, Peter identifies himself here as a fellow elder. A fellow elder. This is where, where elders come from. Do you remember back in Acts chapter 6, the first crisis that arose in the church, or what do we do with this kind of situation that arose in the church? They had a need of how we're going to serve the, the material needs of people who were coming into the church. There were widows, there were orphans, and their own families weren't caring for them anymore because they had named the cause of Christ. And the church was looking out for one another, and yet... How do we manage that? Who's going to manage these resources to assure that they're used rightly? And first of all, the default came back to the apostles, who were the leaders of the church. And they said, no, we need to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So appoint yourselves deacons. And so deacons were appointed with the agreement of the church body as a whole, that these men would be deacons in the church. And then Peter picks up on that in, in 1 Peter chapter 4. He talks about, in terms of serving... Those who have a speaking gift for serving and those who serve. Those who have a speaking gift and those who have a serving gift. I think it goes back to that same Acts chapter 6. There was a speaking need in the church which the elders were fulfilling in prayer and in teaching. And there was a serving gift that the deacons, servants, were called then to begin meeting. And that basic breakdown continues. And many of us, as I described a few weeks ago, we participate in leading to some extent and also in serving to some extent, in speaking gifts as also in serving gifts. But it's interesting, elders, Peter considered himself at this point, he, doesn't, he considers himself the apostle, the fellow elder, that that authority for leadership in the church is rooted in the apostles themselves and to us in the words of the apostles So Peter's a fellow elder, and he says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. This could refer to two things. He he, he said, I've seen it. Not necessarily only referring to Jesus' cross, his death for us, 
but perhaps also the rejection that Jesus experienced from people. The way the crowds turned not only away from him, but against him. The, the opposition and the ridicule and the scorn and even the traps that leaders laid for him over and over again. Peter was a witness of, he saw that going on with Jesus himself. He said we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter it as well. Not only that, but Peter was a witness for Jesus. He was a witness concerning Jesus' sufferings for us. And so as one who knows what it was that our Lord endured for us, and also who tells what our Lord endured for us, his sufferings in our place, he's a willing witness. So out of his own willingness to be a witness, Peter exhorts others to also lead in the same way. Also as one who is a sharer in his coming glory. He says, we have a participation together in the hope that is before us, the glory that is coming. On this basis, he says, I exhort the elders among you to lead. Now, why would he need to do that? Why is it sometimes difficult to get leaders to lead, to have them to step up? Well, think about it. There's an opening for a, a, a new, um, for a pastor in a church. The previous pastor was doing a great job. Many were coming to, the, to, the, to, to know Jesus as Savior, and there's more opportunity still. But that pastor's not there anymore, and they're looking for a new one. They haven't had a lot of applicants. Oh, I should tell you, the church is in Tehran. And if the church is being troubled in Tehran or in China, who is troubled first? Who receives the point of it? It's the leaders. The enemy knows what to do. The enemy knows to go after the leaders first. So if Peter's writing to a church that's going to experience some trouble, expect that leaders are going to be targeted first for opposition and for suffering and for hardship. And so that might create some reluctance. Why would I put myself in that position? Surely there's something else I can do. Surely there's somewhere else I can serve. There's another way that I can contribute without putting myself up front and becoming the next target. But Peter says, I exhort the elders. I exhort you to step up. I exhort you to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. I exhort you elders to be shepherds and to oversee others. There's three ways that he says to do that. There's three ways that elders should lead. Three things that leadership should look like. Three things, three categories or descriptions that we we ought to see from our leaders. You're going to add, I expect you will, I don't know that for sure yet, I'm not trying to prophesy here, but we'll add another elder. Those who are elders in the church, could I get you to stand up? Those who are presently serving on the, on the board of elders, also Jim Sundom, who's been nominated, and also men here who have served as elders here at Brush Prairie. I, I kind of have a council of elders mentality, uh, often seeking counsel as well from those who have served in the past as elders in the church. So here are some of your elders serving now and and who have served in the past. Thank you, men. Thank you. I saw a couple of you were shy and didn't stand up, or maybe I wasn't clear, but but, but thank you for being willing to follow Peter's exhortation exhortation here. This is what it takes. And And church, this is what we can expect or ought to be able to expect from our elders. And we are blessed by good elders in this church. First of all, To shepherd, not under compulsion, but willingly, he says. 
deliberately, intentionally, passionately committed. You know, there's a privilege. There are, we, we consider in the church, we have vocational pastors and we have bivocational pastors. We have pastors who are supported by the church so that they are free to preach the gospel. Now, I didn't say that we, the church uh, um, hires and pays people to preach. I said that the church, and there's a difference, the church supports some men so that they are free to give themselves to preaching. We don't pay for messengers who will say just what we want them to say. We support men so that they can preach. But we also, and why is it that some are, are, are vocational and are able to give their full time to that focus and having some focus is important. I know I've done this from both sides of this coin. But also there are some that are bivocational and volunteer. There are some who, 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 who work full, a full day, a full week and work hard at it and yet still devote themselves to overseeing and shepherding the flock of God which is among them. And they do it as volunteers. They do it as a, as a, as a privilege. And there's, there's no uncertainty. This next line that's here, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. They're not in it for the money. You know how I know? Because for them there's no money. Right? Well, that makes it pretty clear then. And then what they give of themselves is freely given to the church. And I've been in a situation where there was a need of the church, and it hadn't been met through the regular offering, and so when the elders were together and the need was still present, they dug into their own pockets, and that was their job as elders then to meet that need. And they, they, they willingly gave themselves to the church, not for their own gain, but there's a privilege for volunteer elders, for, as well as there's a, there's a benefit to the church for, for those vocational elders, those like me that, that have the privilege. And I, I've, I've told you before, there's been other places where I was in ministry when we were overseas in Africa that I was, I, my full-time job was with our mission, Transworld Radio. And on the side, I was part of a pastoral team, and I was, I was preaching and teaching in the church. And so I've told you before, you know, I don't believe, I don't understand that you pay me to do this, and I just said, you really don't, do you? You, you pay me so that I can be free to do this. You don't just pay me to do this. But I do it for free. I can say that because I've been on that side of it. And it's a privilege. And there are many of you that are working hard in this church in all kinds of ministry. And uh, there's not a lot of pay involved, is there? But there is. There's that privilege of giving myself to the Lord and those who are his for him. That's a privilege, and we should honor that in our church. We should honor those who are willing to leave and to lead and to give of themselves. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. This is a, a freely, a great eagerness. I, wanting to do this. Uh, this. This same term was used of the benefactor of a city. I think in this case, uh, where we would know, there's a family called the Furstenbergs. I don't know them personally, but I know they have money. And I know they have given their money because there's stuff named after them. There's a community center and there's a, a big tower at the hospital that's named after these people. Well, benefactors like that for a community who for whatever reason give themselves and of their resources energetically, enthusiastic, freely for the good of others. It's the same word that's used here concerning how leaders should lead and, and, and shepherd and oversee in the church. Eagerly, freely, not domineering, 
This is important. Not domineering, but being examples to the flock. This is, this is, never should it be said. You know that old parenting rubric. Don't do what I, do as I say, not as I do. That should never be heard among leaders of the church. Paul's model was this. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now that's good stuff to hold our leaders accountable to, right? But what about the rest of us? You know, there were, there, were, there were 8, 9, 10, 12 men in the room that could stand up and say, yes, I've been an elder here. I've been an elder of another congregation in the past, another body of Christ. I, there's there's, a, there's a, a couple handfuls of guys that this stuff seems to apply to. What about the rest of us? Well, in just a moment, we're going get, to get to chapter, or rather verse 5, and it says, likewise, you who are younger. And the term elders, and also then the, the application of you who are younger... That seems to leave some of us out, doesn't it? There are official elders, and then there are the youngers, and I'm not even going to try to cut off where that is, because that would get me in trouble, and I might get left out of lunch. But it suggests that there are, that the, first of all, elders are elder, right? Elders are older. Elders, the word, the word presbyteros for elders means, and that's the way the, where the Presbyterians get their church name, by the way. Presbyterians have elders, Episcopalians have bishops, and, um, well, I guess we're, we're, we're shepherds. But we see we have all of that. Uh, I'm just getting confused now. But where was I? Olders and, uh, elders and olders, that's where I was going. There are younger and there are elders, and elders should be of some age, not a young man, not a novice in the faith in particularly, but having relative seniority, relative maturity and experience in walking with the Lord so that others can follow them as they follow Christ. But there are olders who are not elders. There are olders who are not elders that also the youngers can also follow, learn from, benefit from. I'm going to suggest to you this morning that the things that have been said of, of elders also could be said of olders. And so you're one of two here this morning. You are an older or you are a younger. Now, I know all of you, most of you would like to put yourself in the younger category, right? It seems like there's less responsibility there, and we just want to be younger rather than older. But you know what? We have a nation of adolescents. We have created in America a culture of adolescents that wants privilege without responsibility, that, that wants to con- continue almost like teenagers well into life when it's long time to grow up. And I want to suggest to you that to some extent, most of you are elders, or olders rather, to somebody. You are olders to others that you have an opportunity, the privilege, and dare I say it, a responsibility to lead. That there are youngers that you are the olders for and this might it, it might be that you're you're a young adult and there are teens that are trying to figure out how do I step into this faith for myself and for them their olders would include young adults who have begin to step into life and they're not living just out of their family's faith any longer but this has become my faith and I'm exercising it in life as we begin to form our own lives together there are also other 
olders, your parents are olders, but there's something about the teen years that you also need some other voices alongside your parents' voices. Aunts and uncles of the church, if I may. And there are others, and I encourage you teens, look for, find those other olders that seem to know something about walking with the Lord and could help you navigate some of these things about even some of the conflicts that you might have with your own parents as you're exerting your own independence a little bit, trying to stretch your own wings. Who is it that you could follow and learn something from? There are younger couples in our church. I'd encourage you to look around. Find an older couple. I didn't say an old couple, so everybody relax. Don't feel like, no, I'm not one of those he was talking about. You can't come to me because we're not old. No, no, I said older. And all of you are older than somebody, so you're valuable. I'd encourage a younger couple to, you know, there's this thing called marriage team. And marriage team is based on an older couple that's experienced in marriage. They don't know anything about marriage. They don't have it all figured out. Their marriage is not perfect, but they've figured out how to do this marriage walking together. And they've, they've, they've made it through stuff of life so far, and they have wisdom of years that they could pass on to somebody else. And marriage team is based on a, a formal setup. We're going to get together and, and have a coaching mentoring for over a 12-week time. We can do that. We can do that. Marriage team is a, is a, is a good, solid model, but we could, we could take the first step towards something like that even informally. A younger couple in this church could, could take a look around, Maybe check people out at dinner. See if they seem to have it together a little bit at the church dinner today. Maybe you'll find somebody that, there's a couple we should talk to. And say, we'd like to get together with you. Maybe once a week, coffee, dessert, maybe they'll buy dinner. And we'd like to get together with you for the next, uh, let's say, six weeks, maybe eight weeks. First time we're going to get together, we're going to do this. You tell us your story. An older couple, you can tell me your story and you can weave into that things you've learned about how you walk together. Just weave that into your story, though. Nothing heavy-handed yet, okay? We're just easing into this a little bit. First time you get together, you tell us your story. And the younger couple just gets to learn and hear all this about what was it like to go out on dates and horse and buggy and stuff like that, okay? <laughs> now, second day or second, second time you get together... Then younger couple, tell, tell your story. Older, older couple listens carefully here and looks for things that they might be able to add something in to this relationship. Commonality, certainly, and just getting to know them, but also where could we add something to them? Third, third, uh, third get-together might be something like, what advice would you give to a younger couple like us from the, from your, your, your experience in being married together longer than we have. What advice would you give us? From there, maybe there'll be some times when you get asked specific questions of this couple. But youngers can learn something from olders. There's, there's, not, there's not inferiority in followers. There's, there's strength there. There's, there's help there. That when we will not only, not only uh, elders being willing to lead, what kind of leadership do we need, but what kind of fellowship do we need that we can learn from others? He says, likewise, youngers. That means that, that youngers, what kind of followers they're going to be, is built on the same model that he's already talked about. The same model he's already talked about for, for those who were going to lead is also going to apply then to you who are younger. How are you going to follow? 
the same kind of things that I'm going to likewise follow willingly. I'm not going to follow because I have to. I'm not going to follow because somebody has control over me. Just like in my job, I'm not going to do what I'm told simply because the boss is the boss and they won't pay me. If I don't, I want to do what's right. And I want to do it to the best of my ability and I want to please the Lord in doing it. And within the family, I don't do it just because somebody's in charge, but out of love one for another. And we're at different places in this family, and so in the church family as well. We're in different places with different roles, and I want to learn from this family because I'm going to be there, maybe in not too long. So even as elders are supposed to lead, not under compulsion, but willingly and eagerly, not for their own gain, but rather for the good of others. So we're going to follow also, not even for our own gain, but for the good of others. What will it take? What do I need to add in? What do I need to learn if I'm going to be used by God also in the lives of others in the future? Now, what does it take to lead? What does it take to follow? Both of them, basically, it takes the same thing. The same thing. It takes getting out of the way. What do I mean by that? Look back in in chapter 5 and verse 5 now. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. In the same ways, in the same kind of categories as we read. And then he says this, clothe yourselves, all of you. Okay, now we're talking youngers, olders. Not just elders, but youngers, olders, elders, everybody. All of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Those who lead, clothe yourselves with humility toward those that you lead. Not domineering, but with humility. Leading as a servant, servant leadership, diving to the bottom of the pile. Jesus emphasized that when in John 13, he showed them what leading looked like by laying aside his robe, taking, girding himself as a servant and washing their feet. And there was no question of who was the leader in that room. And yet the leader served them and washed their feet. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for... I just lost my place. Humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As Jesus said in Mark 10, if you're going to lead, don't lead like the Gentiles do, lording over one another, domineering one another, but come not to be served, but to serve. He says, the Son of Man came. Not to serve. And in this context, not like, the, not like the nations lead, but lead this way. The Son of Man came. Not to be served but to serve. We expect leaders should be served, but leaders should serve. And he says he laid down his life for others. If anyone be first in God's kingdom, he must be last of all and a servant of all. Those who are leading in humility lead not for their agenda, but for the best of those who they lead. Followers. Followers, humility says, I need others. I am not an independent contractor. I am not just just going to live my life as I want, for me, about me, as I please, because it's just me and it's all about me. No, it's I need others. There are things I don't know. And you know the funny thing about that? 
You don't know what you don't know. What don't you know? I don't know. You don't know what you don't know. I know lots of things that I know, and I don't know all the things that I do know, actually, the way that I think that I know them. But I know this. I don't know what I don't know. How could I? I don't know it. The bottom line is I need others. And I don't even know all of the ways that I need them. You don't know what somebody else can add into your life. I see Coach smiling right now. He's been after, he's been after team after team after team, season after season. They know it all, and they don't know anything. They don't know what they don't know, and they're just delighted along the way to find some of it out, aren't they? And they get better and better together as somebody else adds in. And so followers, you know, I think of the Mark Twain quote. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. When I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. Well, that was Mark Twain a long time ago because now people don't come to that realization at 21. It's going to be 25 or 30 or later than that sometime when the video game controller gets put aside and and life begins to happen. But we don't know and we assume other people are irrelevant to, to us, but not at all. We don't know perhaps how much we need others. God gives grace. So those who lead with humility, followers, I need every, others, I don't know everything I need to follow. And God gives grace. God gives help. You may be saying, particularly in the area of leading, who am I? What could I do? And okay, by and large, I would agree with you. Who am I? What could I do? And yet, God gives grace. But he gives grace to the humble. That's the promise. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand, so that at the proper time he may lift you up. We'll talk more on that next week. But humility is really the essence of leadership. Humility is the essence of followership. Humility is how we together will press on and press into what it is that God has for us together. It can't be done without humility. Humility is really the essence of the Christian life. You know why? Because humility is also the entrance to the Christian life, isn't it? Humility is the entrance to the Christian life because in humility I say I am not good enough for God. I cannot be accepted by God On my own merit, I don't measure up. I need help. In fact, I needed God's perfect son to die in my place. My guilt is so great that just um, trying to obey better and filling out some list wasn't going to be good enough. It wasn't going to do it. My guilt is so great that the son of God himself needed to die in my place. That's humility. The cross is offensive. That's why we need to be careful that we don't add other offense to the cross because that's offensive. You tell you are so wretched that the Son of God died for you. But you are so loved that the Son of God died for you. In humility, will you accept his love? That's saving faith. We enter the Christian life in humility, and Peter tells us now that we continue then to live the Christian life in humility. And what we're going to do next... One of those steps in that Christian life, having believed in Christ, having received Christ as Savior, is to make a spectacle of yourselves. One of the ways we Baptists like to do that is baptism. 
Baptism seems to be a great way to make a spectacle of ourselves. And some of you are sitting out there and you haven't been back here for that very reason. Seriously. You're older now. This morning we're going to be baptizing two that are younger. They're, they're in their teens. And it's a good time for them being raised in faith. They've, they've, they've taken that faith in Christ as their own. It's not just a family thing. And so they're going to declare that faith by going underwater, buried with Christ, by being raised up back out of the water, raised with Christ to walk a new life. This is something that Jesus gave us to enact and declare our faith. And so we're going to do that. But yeah, they're, they're youngers. That's a good time for them. Some of you are olders and you haven't done that. Maybe you were baptized years and years ago. I shouldn't say too many. But a while ago, as an infant, you say, well, can't that count? Well, that wasn't you declaring your faith in Christ. Yeah, but you know, I might make a spectacle of myself. Yes, I hope so. (laughs) I do. I hope you're willing to make a spectacle of yourself in declaring your faith in Christ here. Because this is a safe place to do that. And it emboldens us to be willing to make a spectacle of ourselves in declaring our faith in Christ out there, okay? If we can do it first before family, then we can also do the same out there when people might not seem as friendly. So we're going to, uh, I'm going to pause in prayer here, and uh, then we're going to celebrate the um, declaration of faith in baptism of Caleb Irwin and Hannah Evans. Father, thank you. Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you, that, Lord, that we can celebrate faith. Thank you, Father, that, that in their faith in Christ, they declare that now in baptism and that we are encouraged. Lord, that each one out here this morning also might be reminded of their own baptism if they have also declared their faith in Christ before others in this way. That something that we share with the church over, over many, many centuries. Father, we do that again today. And Lord, if there are those here that uh, are perhaps confronted about faith in Jesus because of what they do, that it's real to them, and there's someone out here that's watching and listening and wonders if, if that faith is also theirs, Lord, would you make clear by your Spirit, even talking to somebody else, that, Lord, Jesus died for them if they would believe on him. And Lord, would you encourage, perhaps there's some who also would like to make the same declaration of faith that, Lord, you would also encourage them, give them the uh, willingness as well to be a spectacle before others in declaring faith in Jesus. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.